0: No Welcome to episode 313 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by two guests on this week's show. First, many-time return guest to the NCR World, loyal supporter of the show, Mary Curillo, award-winning broadcaster flying all over the continent to do all sorts of things. Mary, thank you for being on here once more. Always a pleasure, Ben. And Jessica Luther, also returning to NCR, uh, who was on last fall. Actually, I was looking at this, the timing of this, like somewhat ironically, right before the story we're going to talk about started broke, basically, it uh-huh. first came out like a week before uh, Jessica, author of the book Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back, and host of the Burn It All Down podcast. Jessica, thank you for being back on here as well.
1: Always thrilled. I love it here.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, so as I alluded to, the podcast we did about Does Tennis Love You Back? I think was sort of the title of that. That was in October of last year. And then I think less than 10 days later is when Olga Sharapova first came forward with her allegations of domestic abuse against her ex-boyfriend, the tennis star Sasha Zverev, uh, who she'd broken up with about a year earlier. And uh, I did interviews with her that led to a story that came out in November in Racket and then another one that came out before the U.S. Open in August, detailing her accusations of abuse at various places around the tour in New York uh, before the U.S. Open, in Geneva, Labor Cup that year, and during the Shanghai Masters in China. And the timing of this, I would wanted to do an episode of this for a while to get back into this story. And I did one episode last year at John Wertheim about it, but felt like it deserved a follow up after more reporting was able to come out. And there happened to be news this week, somewhat unexpectedly, I didn't expect the timing of it, uh, where the ATP announced on Monday that it is finished its review or its independent review is finished of its safeguarding policies, as they call them, which would include domestic violence and sort of buried at the bottom of that release, but still very much in there. And rightly seen as the main sort of story and all the coverage of this was the news that the ATP is now having an investigation underway into Sasha Zverev and these accusations, which they had not previously acknowledged in any way, shape or form in the previous 11 months. They had not shown that they were aware that they existed really and read a brief. Oh, uh, their chief executive, Massimo Calvelli, says the allegations raised against Alexander Zverev are serious and we have resp- responsibility to address them. We hope our investigation will allow us to establish the facts and determine appropriate follow-up action and... Zverev, for his part, also put out a statement saying, I have always been in full support of the creation of ATP domestic violence policy. Moreover, I welcome the ATP investigation into the matter and have been asking the ATP to initiate an inve- independent investigation for months. As I stated before, I categorically and une- unequivocally deny any of these allegations, he says. Yeah, I guess first, uh, I'll start with you, Mary. You talked about this a bit uh, on the podcast you did with Behind the Bracket with Mike Cation and Noah Rubin, which I know many people will have listened to already and talking about the ATP in action and your own nearly year-long discomfort with this story yeah. and, the lack of, and the lack of response to it. What is your thought on the sort of news of this, that the ATP is
2: I don't know finally much... doing something? Well, okay, that's exactly right. I spoke to uh, a mutual good friend of ours, a broadcaster mm-hmm. just about an hour ago, who said, well, at least it's something. Yeah. But I don't know what it is, really. I mean, I yeah. think they should have started the thing. They, they kind of bury the Zverev story at the end of the thing. I think that should have been the lead, and I, I wonder what kind of a, what kind of an investigation it is, and and how you know how many different factions are involved in it, and they're only, correct me, Ben, they're only looking into the allegations of one part of this, correct?
0: That's right. the The statement from the ATP specifically says they're looking into the things that happened in Shanghai in 2019, which is an ATP member tournament, in the phrasing, of the press release about this, which would parses it more than you would think they would do in terms of because ATP because if you want to do it only during or at tournament hotels uh, even so that wouldn't cover the whole scope of things but that would include labor cup which is not mentioned or named as a place of interest in this investigation at least in the public statement of it and labor cup is an atp affiliated event you know where the matches count towards atp head-to-heads or something and it's become closer to the atp but they're drawing a pretty narrow, narrow, exactly. narrow radius for this investigation.
2: That's why. That's why I just question. Like, uh, I mean, if and again, I pulled out of a, a Labor Cup event where I was supposed to be broadcasting. Uh, what last weekend, I guess, and um, it just seems to me that you know, Labor Cup is also Tennis Australia. I was supposed to be working with Tennis Australia, Jessica. The USGA is also a part of that. The ATP is a part of that. So, does that mean? That those investigations, you know, the ATV is only concentrating on one part of the planet. I mean, does that happen in a lot of other sports that where you've that where you've covered domestic violence?
1: Well, it's interesting because tennis is so global in a way that a lot of the sports that I cover are very American, right. like they are yeah. situated in one particular space, and so this is very different uh, and a big wrinkle in all of this and mm-hmm. sort of how to think about uh, investigating it and, and going after. You know what happened i think ben's reporting is very solid and very good on this uh but i'm with you mary like i don't just saying there's an investigation is like that what does that even mean who's doing it exactly. what does the investigation look like who are they going to talk to what questions are they asking what is the credentials of the people who are going to be leading this how many of them are there Uh, what is their relationship to the tennis world itself like we know that tennis is a real insular space and there's often all kinds of conflicts of interest so like where are they getting their investigators from and the thing I keep thinking about is uh, in the NBA Chauncey Billups was hired as the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers earlier this year and he had a sexual assault case that was settled uh, a civil case that was settled out of court i Decades ago now, a couple decades ago when he was first in the NBA and the trailblazers took a lot of heat for this hiring. And at the press conference introducing him, they said, we did an investigation. We're cool with this hire. And as soon as the reporters were like, ask any specific questions, the GM was like, you have to just trust me. We did it. Just trust me, (laughs) which is like a wild thing to say to reporters (laughs) ever, Uh,
2: especially if you're a cynical New Yorker as I am. uh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And so I'm thinking of that right now, of like, you know, is this going to be, we've, we're, I mean, we could talk about abuse in all kinds of sports. The NWSL, the Women's Soccer League in the U.S. is under all yeah. kinds of scrutiny. And one of the problems there is that there's no transparency. Like every time, every time they keep having them, coaches that are, you know, fired for cause or found to have been abusive to players, they won't, there's no transparency on how they determine that and what they actually found and and how they did any of that. And it's very frustrating for the players themselves, but also for fans. Like it really creates a distance. And I'm just nervous about like what this will look like on the other side of once they tell us there's been an investigation.
2: Uh, Let me ask you, I have more more questions and answers for you two. I want to say that right at the start of this thing. But Jessica, is it my understanding that if something happens in the NBA, it's a league investigation, it's not a team investigation?
1: Yeah. So, right. I just I just reported on this, so I, I know a lot about that. And, yeah, the NBA policy as it's set up is that the league itself takes over and that teams uh, teams cannot do anything to punish a player in the meantime. They can't come to their own conclusions and then make choices about that because we're talking about employees, which, again, is different here, right? Yeah. The ATP is not... They're, they're not the employer of all of these uh, tennis players versus the NBA where we're talking about an employee-employer relationship, including a union. That makes it trickier, uh, doesn't it? And it makes it trickier. So yeah, so the league is then the entity that has to investigate. And, wants, and then it, will, it would be Adam Silver, the commissioner, who would decide on the punishment for that player if the investigation finds that they have broken their policy.
0: Should probably say just from what we know from reading this press release and i did message the atp asking about labor cup specifically saying hey is labor cup not mentioned here because of this member tournament phrase maybe the eight AT- you know shanghai is a master tournament holds a, a tour sanction to hold the event and maybe that's sort of the way that they're parsing this and trying to lessen their responsibility or their workload honestly for this investigation so i have not heard back from atp as of time of recording from that i messaged them on monday and also this is an internal investigation. The report that they commissioned was uh, an independent report that they hired uh, former law enforcement officials to do to sort of review their policies, their safeguarding policies. That was independent, but the investigation has a stance is being called internal. So yes, we don't know if it's existing staff from the ATP who are going to be conducting this, or if it's outside consultants who will be brought to be cons- uh, internal, or or who, if it's just going to be you know, I don't know some existing person there who has no qualification for this or not. I I don't know what their their mechanisms are. Yeah. So I guess, I guess to to put it in less, in more abstract terms, Jessica, Mm -hmm. what does it take to make a good investigation to one of these things, internal or, or independent? What does it take to make a good investigation? And I'm kind of guessing, I know the answer to this already, but should we have faith in the ATP to do a good job of handling this now that they've actually said they're starting (laughs) something?
1: I mean, you brought like the most cynical person in the world on this topic to your podcast to ask that question. Like, no, we shouldn't trust it, because I mean, the truth is that there's no good system to report into, right? Like, like the legal systems that have been set up around the world do not handle uh, investigations and um, trials of sexual violence well, so or domestic violence well. Mm -hmm. There are so there's very there's no good systems to report into, there's all kinds of issues around investigating this type of violence anywhere you look. So we should, we should always be somewhat cynical of whatever kind of reports come out, um, no matter which way they fall, even if they're what we want or expect or whatever. Um, What was the first part of the question, Ben? I lost it. What what does
0: it take to do a good investigation? Like what would would be the sort of signs of, of an investigation that you would think was being set up the right way?
1: Well, you would absolutely want to see people that have the skills to do this. This is hard work. Uh, You know, this is hard work as a journalist. Forget like, you know, actually investigating this um, with consequences, like for real consequences coming out for for people. Uh, So you yeah, you want someone who is informed, like knows how to do trauma informed investigations. Like so the worst part about this is thinking of her having to tell her story once again like it's very it's a big ask of someone to like Mm -hmm. go through what they say is a lot of trauma for them over and over again so you want someone who's sensitive to that you want someone who understands all the different sort of rape domestic violence myths and and the ideas that we bring to the table we're not there's not a neutral starting point when we talk about these issues right we have a lot of cultural baggage that we bring to the table about the kinds of people who report whether or not they're truthful how they tell stories uh all kinds of things that like you have to be aware of when you're evaluating the information that you're getting and so I do think who's doing it is very important and then how they're doing it like I would like to know something about who exactly are they talking to, how are they reaching out to them, how are they conducting their interviews? It's really common to hear from people who've been harmed that the people investigating are mean or mm. harsh or invasive in ways that make them feel put off or they don't actually want to participate. And and with good reason. I mean, this just happened. I feel like I am a abuse encyclopedia uh, as we're going through this. But like this just happened with the NFL. There's a quarterback for the Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson. 22 women have come forward. Two of them recently spoke to Sports Illustrated about the NFL's investigation and said that it like made them feel blamed. You know, like the kind of what were you wearing (laughs) questioning uh, that made them feel very bad about what was happening and made them really wonder about where this investigation was going and what was, you know, why the NFL was doing it. And I don't think we have an outcome yet still for that. Um I so I think those are my main thing it doesn't really matter like who's who's doing this. And I, again, I would say with tennis, I would want to understand their relationship to everyone within the tennis world. Like I would really want something as independent as you can get. Yeah,
2: I have I have a million follow-up questions first to jessica how important is it for olga to speak and tell what happened and to ben have you a sense that she would do that or is she going to stay in the shadows i mean she's she's never asked for money she, so you first jessica how important is it for for olga to be willing to testify
1: this is always so hard because it's such a big burden I think it's important. But again, I'm of the mindset that like if she chose not to, she'd probably have a lot of good reasons to not trust this process and to question what is going on. Like, does she have transparency on all of this stuff? Um, Who's doing this and and why? And how it's going to work, what the process actually is here, and what happens at the end of it? Um, So if she herself is very skeptical, I could understand a lot of why she would decide not to participate but certainly when you know when you're doing an investigation hearing from as many voices as possible and specifically from the person who's been harmed but again they would have to be very careful and you don't want to go back to her over and over and over again and uh but I don't want to tell her what like I don't want to be out here saying like that, that she has to do one thing or the other because well it's all. There's always such a burden on the person
0: who reports.
2: So Ben, do you think she would testify?
0: I genuinely don't know the answer to that. I I know from talking to her, and this you know one of the questions had was about, and people obviously try to put lots of motives on her, or, or say, or try to imagine, or, or guess, or you know suggest what her motives they think are. And the most common one is, oh, she's just in this for, and this is obviously a bad faith suggestion that she's in it for money or attention or something like that. If she was in it for money, she would have sued him. There's mechanisms by which you get money. Going public, you know, first is not the way to get money out of any of these situations. I think people who just don't, don't understand how money works, people who think that if she's a gold digger, or whatever their sort of names get thrown at her through that. Her motive for coming forward in, in her Instagram post and then doing the couple interviews she did afterwards about it, she said, were just to to get her story out there so that other people in similar situations would feel empowered to, to leave and to know that there's, you know, Life, there's ways out of this. There's life beyond this if you can, you know, make it there. And that was really her motivating factor. I think I asked her, and, and she was very clear that she was not important to her to see Zverev punished. You know, she did not want him to, in terms of also pressing, not pressing charges, which is another thing that people bring up in this case a lot. It was not, she does not want to see Zverev in jail or in prison. That's not yeah. something that she sees as being the outcome that she wants, nor I think does she want, you know, really care honestly in her own personal perspective. You know, if the sponsors drop him or if the tour suspends him, I'm not sure those are really her motivating factors to see him punished. She said that repeatedly. I asked her at one point, and it was interesting, maybe sort of, I don't know, potentially pointy moment where I asked her, like, what is your sense of justice in this story? And it was one of the words she had to, like, look up. She, like, had to translate justice <laughs> to figure out what what it meant to her in Russian. So there was a pause there, but she, she. That wasn't honestly like sort of her motivating factor. And so I don't know what her sort of, again, it's been almost a year since our last, since I interviewed her in depth about this and the, and the details of these cases. I don't know what her appetite will be and what how her thinking has shifted in either direction uh, in the past year. I'm sure her thoughts on this are constantly evolving or shifting in some ways in terms of what she wants and what feels like justice to her, what feels like closure. But I don't, I don't know. I have not, I reached out to her. I've not spoken to her in, in, in depth this week i'm hoping to soon but i don't know what i don't know that she's been contacted i personally have not been contacted by atp there's also i mean they could use existing interviews and all the documentation there i mean i saw the there's two experts in this sort of area who wrote a editorial for the washington post about this case dana bolger and alexandra brodsky who wrote about it oh, yeah. and they said in their in their thing uh they said that this particular investigation and this is their assessment not mine this particular investigation might be an easy one. Racket and Slate have already interviewed Cherpova on multiple occasions, compiled photographic evidence and contemporaneous messages describing the abuse and confirmed key details with third parties. So right. that in that sense, I did a lot of the work in this investigation potentially if, they want, if investigators want to see it this way for them. You know, a lot of the facts of Olya's story have already been told in, I think, pretty robust depth mm. and could be enough to just sort of base on that. And I'd be happy to cooperate with that, with, you know... Whomever, her, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. you know, I could talk to her and make sure that's okay. I don't want to go against her wishes of sharing parts that are previously unpublished. But I don't know how much it needs her. I, it obviously her feelings on it do matter, but they could yeah. also, I think, do potentially do something without her deep cooperation. That's interesting that's, sort of bridge to cross to if you get to it. But
1: that's really yeah. interesting to hear about what she wants and what she doesn't want because I do think what the person harm wants and doesn't want should be a factor in deciding and that is complicated and and domestic violence in particular often is incredibly complicated uh, around punishment and discipline. And so that's an interesting moment for the tennis community. So if like Olga herself is like, I don't need to see him punished here that that's not the point I've come forward. It's like, what does the tennis community, what is okay for the tennis community here? Uh, And that's a different, question with a different answer and it might not line up with her. Uh, That's just interesting to think about and makes it complicated. And I think that's part of the problem all the time with these cases is most people just really want them to be simple and they want to feel like there's good and bad and we can decide one way or the other. You either discipline or you don't. And then we all like move on from there. And that's just not... True. Sorry, everyone listening. <laughs> like, yeah. Wrap well,
0: people briefly that you know the most sort of infamous domestic violence case in in probably U.S. sports recent memory is the is the Ray Rice case, where there's video of him uh, assaulting his then girlfriend in an elevator. Uh, mm-hmm. and that was sort of a shocking video for everybody. And those two people are still together and still mm-hmm. married. You know, right. and she she did not as 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 galling and as shocking as that video was and horrifying to people, did not. And the relationship they're still together and that can be very hard for people to process you know the sort of the that it's not as black and white and clean and a lot of people also say and these you know people are uninformed of this issue i got messages like why didn't i don't believe her because why wouldn't she leave right after the first incident of anything happening and that's just again not how people are familiar with these situations can tell you that's just not how those things play out it, it it's much for lack of a better word messier than Mm -hmm. than people want it to be. Because it's it's human beings involved in relationships.
2: It's messy. uh, Olga put out a post, a social media post after your second article came out. Mm -hmm. And after Zverev continued to deny that anything happened between them. And she said, tell me, the wording was something like, you know what's true or, you know. Mm -hmm. But she didn't say the truth will come out. She basically said, dude, you know what I'm saying is the truth right? Was it something like that?
0: That's one thing that she's, I think she says in the story too, in the second, I believe, I think it's in the second story. One of her motives is one thing that she does want is for him to basically admit what he did. That is important to her. Mm-hmm. That that is, that is sort of, maybe that's the justice to her, to use that previous word, is for her, him to sort of, and what would, she'd say, sort of stop lying about this or stop mm-hmm. gaslighting is probably a term that's, you know, people would use in this sort of situation, stop living in this alternate world would be what she would say. And obviously he's consistently denied it in these very blanket terms. She's gone into, you know, hours long depth. And he basically says versions of this is simply not true, or it's, you know, unequivocally not true now, or different adverbs of false basically. And that's about as far as he goes. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, if he does cooperate with this investigation, as he said he would, he did not answer questions about that, by the way, at the U.S. Open. He got asked repeatedly at the U.S. Open if he would cooperate with the investigation and did not engage with those questions. It was sort of part phrased and like multi-part questions by the reporters, but he never indicated that previously. Mm. Yeah, if he does have his own side of things to tell, if he does have his own, I, I, we don't know his side of the story because he's chosen not to give it, you know. And so that doesn't in any way mean anything. I, I I just don't know what his side of the story is, which made it frustrating as a reporter to, you know, deal with this story that I don't think was one-sided, but was incomplete because he wasn't cooperating or being open with any stage. So, Jessica, like I said, the last episode we were on here uh, was about, you know, talking about different issues in tennis that make it difficult. It was mm-hmm. after, with, with Kavitha, your co-author on Unloving Sports and They Don't Love You Back, and talking about some of the things that make tennis challenging sometimes to to love and to and to be a wholehearted supporter of. And obviously this has been... A rough 11 months for people, a lot of people who enjoy tennis and men's tennis specifically and, and watching the matches, you know, big matches like US Open semifinals or Olympic gold medal matches or whatever that may be while this cloud still hangs over the sport. Actually, I'm going to pivot this to, to Mary because Mary, you talked about this a bit with uh, with Mike and, and Noah on the podcast, but what's it been like for you as a broadcaster who's always been aware of these stories being on air because you were covering Colin's air matches at the French Open, at the Olympics, at the US Open repeatedly... Yep. While having this this discomfort, how how was that sort of as a challenge to have him and uh, remain part of the very much a part of the tennis cast of characters and, and contenders no, he's, uh, he's, and champions at the Olympics, while while at the same time feeling like this was a, on a sort of an open open wound for the sport. Yeah, no, it's 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 been terrible,
2: and and again it, it becomes tricky, um, because um I will bring it up during the French Open, the 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 Olympics, the U.S. Open. And whoever it is sitting next to me doesn't go anywhere near it.
0: <laughs> I will say almost always men. Almost always
2: men. Darren Cahill did come in. I was very frustrated uh, the, during the Olympic gold medal match, because there was supposed to be a studio segment addressing this before the gold medal match. So that, and I'm the one who requested it. I gave a lot of detail about Ben's stuff. I said, we have to do that so that I'm not talking about it during a gold medal match. It's which isn't fair to Zverev or Karen Hatchinoff, his opponent, is surprised. Like, don't Mm -hmm. do that. And they they told me, yes, that's going to happen. And then it didn't happen. And then I had to talk about the beginning of the second set. You know, then you have to figure out when to bring it up. And Darren Cahill agreed with me that the ATP has got to get off their keisters and do something. And now this week they, you know, they're doing something. I'm not sure what it is. But it's difficult. And at the US Open. There was a big deal about Stefano Tsitsipas and, and potty break. He took a very long toilet break yeah. and that became, he became the Endless villain. Discussion. He became, he became, yeah. and in the meantime, people are cheering Sasha Zverev. And like, it's like, wow, don't you guys like read anything? Like, don't you know? And Zverev was
0: also eager to join the pile and, on, <laughs> on this, the Tsitsipas thing.
2: Exactly which i felt was a bit of deflection but um yeah you know it's hard because i work uh, over the years i've worked at a lot of different places with a lot of different announcers many of whom i respect but i can't tell you how often something happens on the court and and it's usually the guy and some some of the women jump behind a couch too believe me but then and they'll say like well i'm no doctor you know, or I'm no weatherman. Like they always like use that as cloud cover. I'm not an expert. So I can't say what I think about Alexander Zverev. You know, I'm not an expert. And
0: I remember this famous clip of, of you and, and Justin Gimmelstab on Tennis Channel. You're calling a Ryan Harrison match <laughs> and you called him Mr. Cranky Pants, famously Ryan Harrison. And it's still on YouTube. If you want to look up Mar- <laughs> Cranky Pants on YouTube, it's still there. And it and, is. And, and, and Harrison had been being pretty bratty on court, you know, had been sort of throwing his racket around, stomping around, just being petulant about losing. He was losing to, I think, Marin Cilic in that match. And you asked Gimelstab if he deserved a code violation mm. for his, you know, continued tantrums. And Gimelstab says, oh, that's not my job. My job is to talk about the sport within the lines. So this is, like, such a basic... That's, like, not even a difficult topic like domestic violence. This is, the like, the racket of involved? The pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the charge. The charge is cranky pants. The charge pants.
2: against me was...
1: I'm sorry, I'm not an expert on <laughs> exactly. cranky pants. I
2: don't know so. if it's pants or cranky, or if it, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but and and that again, and it's a uh, it's a frustration for me because I will say something, whether it's you know yeah wh- whatever the topic is, I'll say something on the air. I can be very, yeah, I can be critical, and then yeah, my you know the fellow people in the industry. Whether it's announcers or sports writers, they'll send me texting. They'll 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 text me clapping emojis or heart oh. emojis, and uh, you know that's very kind of you. But you know why don't you jump right in there and and if you agree with me, how about you say it so I'm not twisting in the wind all the time?
0: That's a little mm. hard to take. What do you think it is about tennis broadcasting that is so anathema to sort of telling? tougher or less you know you, you referred to in the mication interview you referred to tennis for sort of being a blue sky network i like this a phrase and they very much are and, and they're we'll see how they if, if they all ever get involved in the labor cup and their role in that in this very sorry i'd be surprised but you, you were talking about like one of the examples you use was tennis sangren at the 2018 australian open when 2018 or 2019 whatever year that was when he was getting all his scrutiny 2018 getting his scrutiny for uh his twitter history and his his far, you know, sort of extreme politics that he was mingling with on his Twitter. Mm-hmm. And and there was this immediate sort of quashing of the notion that this should be made into a, a topic or a graphic on the match to address this pretty clear elephant in the room. And I just sort of wonder, you know, who it's protecting, you know, like, at, what, what is what is the sort of cost-benefit analysis that's happening to say, oh, no, 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 we can't afford to sully the image of this guy ranked like 100th in the world at the time in Tennis sangarin. Like, and I don't think being, un- I think it was nothing would happen with me unfair to Sangren, I don't think anybody would say, but just like, no, no, we have to keep this sort of hermetically sealed happiness haven that is our tennis broadcast. Why is that? Why is tennis feel, why why do you, I mean, from the booth, you know, and I guess maybe Jessica, if you want to chime in after, is that different from other sports? I was thinking about it during the US Open, waiting to see if Chris Fowler would say anything on ESPN about this of stuff during his many hours of opportunity to do so, calling Zverev matches. And then I realized that Chris Fowler also calls college football, in which there's also myriad opportunity to ignore things, <laughs> you know? So he's probably very experienced at brushing things under the rug or, or, or overlooking things in his professional capacities there. But yeah, but Mary, what, what do you think it is about tennis that makes people so, that makes, as <laughs> you said, like use the phrase, can't we commit some journalism <laughs> or something, <laughs> which I really appreciate.
2: Well, but, you're asking the yeah. wrong dame because I, I've gotten in a lot of uh, hot soup over the years at the networks I've worked for, whether it's Tennis Channel or ESPN for, for saying things that a lot of the people around me wish I hadn't said. I also yeah. think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but... It seems to me that there is no other sport where so many of the broadcasters are former players, right? I mean, is there any other televisable sporting event where so many of the announcers actually played the game? I don't think so, you know?
0: And often still have some connection to the current game correct as well. Correct. Like you know, some of them are also coaches or some of them are also they have camps, uh, they have married to agents or agents themselves or managers or work for the USTA or whatever it may be. So I think that's a big part
2: of it, frankly. And and I I just think um and, and in terms of like Tennis Australia or the USTA, the US like they if you have the rights, if you have the you know, the rights to an event. You get, a bit, you get to decide who your announcers are in large measure, you know? So if you, are, if you are working for Tennis Australia, I've only ever worked for them once, and I'm sure I won't be invited back. Um, and I loved the, the event in Geneva a couple of years ago, the Labor Cup, but there are other announcers who get a lot of work from Tennis Australia. They do that whole Australian swing before the first major of the year happens. So, you know, they wanna, I think they measure their words a lot more than, you know, some Yahoo like me might. So there's all kinds of reasons mm. why people, you know, edit themselves so heavily in tennis. Yeah. There's all kinds of reasons. And they're all pretty frustrating.
0: Jessica, what do you think about yeah. it more broadly, just sort of the responsibility that broadcasters have to tell viewers about these things? So that's yeah, I think Mary mentioned it before, but, you know, being at the, I was in the stadium for the second semifinal, uh, the Djokovic-Zverev match at the U.S. Open, and you wouldn't know and it's impossible to know without doing a survey of the crowd how many people are aware of of this background for zverev and and the allegations which i feel like are important context to him and his encore uh being but without the broadcasters and especially ash which is a weird dynamic of where people have the lot like probably 10 percent of the crowd mm-hmm. have these in-ear radios that play the espn mm-hmm. feed which is a whole different sort of weird ecosystem there i feel mm-hmm. like but uh if they don't know about it people don't know and so i guess what how do how do you think Broadcasters and media more generally, because lots of, certainly lots of print reporters also stayed pretty quiet about this uh, over the past year. What do you think about, yeah, people's responsibility to inform people while still, you know, being fair to the accused, mm. uh, but but uh, yeah, but not also being just blackout silence or something like this.
1: Yeah, I don't certainly envy anyone who has to do this work, uh, but I and I will admit that I have not watched this Verve match and. In- quite a while now i have on purpose not done it because i didn't want to hear the commentary or the lack of it so that was part of it for me i don't think you're alone trouble with crowds cheering for people Um, so that's one of my things but so i haven't seen a ton of how people have and have not covered Zverev, other than i think ben knows like every once in a while i'll see it on twitter (laughs) and i'll be like oh this is how they did it and i think a lot of the time I'm trying to think if I should be careful in how I say this, but I guess I'll just say it, because why not? I just think people are cowards about it. I think that they, sometimes that maybe that comes from a good place. They don't want to get it wrong. But I think a lot of the time people just in general, like forget being a commentator on a television channel. Just in real life, they don't want to talk about this. They don't know how to talk about it. Um, They haven't put in the work to make sure that the way that they're talking about it is good or better. So I do remember maybe it was McEnroe. I can't. It was somebody who basically said, I don't know enough about this to talk about it, brought it up, but then said, I don't know enough about it. And I was like, you can literally rattle off, you know, decades of information about all of these players and all of these things. Like you too could have read Ben's piece and written down the key details and, just told the audience so I do there's a part of me that thinks we do owe it to the audience to say that this this is a thing that is happening out in the world here are the main details it's complicated the ATP has not yet done anything about this we're all waiting to see what will happen but that does feel like important context for this match but here we go you know I think there's a way to do that people are just scared of, of doing, of having all kinds of conversations around difficult topics. And and there is a part of me that doesn't want them to get it wrong, you can harm, you can do harm by talking about this in the wrong way. But at the same time, there are plenty of people watching who are survivors of this exact kind of violence who are aware of how this is not isn't covered and whether or not the people talking on television care. Yeah. And that can feel particularly painful to that group of viewers and certainly there are people on the tour who are survivors whether or not we know anything about any of that who I am sure are also very aware of how people within the tennis world have taken this up or not. So yeah I do think they have an ethical responsibility as they would anything else including like long bathroom breaks like all <laughs> there's all kinds of context that we get about players on and off the court in order to ex- make us as viewers relate to them or whatever. Mm leaving this out is a re- it's very clear when that happens no. and i so i do think there's an ethical responsibility to do it and just do your homework there are people who can help you figure out how to talk about this if you are nervous about it and you should be like i whenever a reporter calls me up and they are asking me questions about like how to do this work and i always tell them you know, the fact that you're even asking makes me feel better about whatever you're about to do because mm-hmm. you clearly care enough to try to do it right. Yeah. Even if you might mess up, I mess up.
0: And so I, I talked to you before the first, first interview. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, Mary, go no,
2: ahead. No, I, 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 uh, Ben credits you, Jessica, for, for helping him understand how to cover something like this. But I said it on the uh, Behind the Racket podcast with Mike and, and Noah. What we, I feel, <laughs> I, it's a responsibility for me. When when I'm talking about something, what we say and what we don't say, shapes opinion. Mm-hmm. And so what you and, Absolutely. and I, I just I wish I could impart that kind of thinking on uh, on so many um, so many other announcers and who again who they praise me, but not on the air. They'll <laughs> praise me with emojis.
1: Yeah, th- thanks for <laughs> doing the hard work, Mary. I,
0: I have, I sim- <laughs> similarly, I have lots of, you know, compliments or, or praise from reporters in the U.S. Open Press Room for, you know, oh, good to work with this Zverev story who are afraid to, you know, retweet it right. or do something, you know, basic, you know, like that. And okay. and and that's and that can be sort of a dis- uh, uh, causing cognitive dissonance there to, to sort of have people who want to sort of tell you they're on the right side of something, but not actually do anything to put themselves yeah. out there and then, on that side. And yeah. And I was just thinking about the responsibility of the viewers. Like if I was a tennis, a casual tennis fan who had watched, you know, close to wall to wall, U.S. open coverage. And then this week saw a headline on ESPN.com because tons of outlets started covering it this week when the ATP made its official statement, they're investigating this opened a lot of floodgates from previously nervous outlets who had, including a lot of German outlets, which I mentioned it had been very, very quiet in Germany until this week, this formal ATP action really did, Hmm. liberate a lot of uh, scared or intimidated German outlets who have been Which threatened. shows
1: you part of its importance. Oh, yeah. So, like that, the so fact that's, that's that the importance it did of it
0: doing something. That, that's the that's, that's real thing. Matters beyond. But yeah, I was just thinking again yeah. to, to wrap up that previous thought. If I was a tennis viewer and saw this, I'd be like, I would sort of feel <laughs> potentially betrayed by ESPN. Like, how did... This, is, this story came out in August? I, but I watched Fifteen hours of this guy at the US Open and they were mentioned it once? How is that? How is that possible? You know, like it's 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 it, it, it's it's disservice to viewers. It's 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 negligent on that level. I feel like to give such a incomplete yeah. run of things.
1: And I'll just say, like, this is a normal thing in sports yeah. broadcast booths. Like, there was a, just a whole thing about Chris Collinsworth and the way that he didn't talk about Antonio Brown uh, when he was on the field recently for whatever. I don't watch American football anymore, but my understanding is it was very, like, he had some off-field issues. And it's like, you should just say that there were multiple women who reported him for sexual violence and that he was punished by the league for one of those. Like, that it can be a whole sentence. Like, that's it. You don't have to, like, give us the play-by-play on that. But just... You know, it's like, I don't even know how to explain it. just hurts me when they do that. It's like vague book or whatever, you know, like just the vagueness of it. So you know enough to tell us that you should nod to it, but you aren't brave enough to just give us the two sentences of the actual context of it. That's just garbage. We're at the same, and then at the same time, the media around it will run all kinds of stories about this person off the field and just ignore you know this is potentially incredibly important part of that
0: story part of the other sort of dissonance i think during the us open particularly which was last tournament i was at and probably last tournament i'll be at this year uh maybe i take a wild card into guadalajara we'll see but uh, uh if uh the complete silence on the tv was very very different to the conversations happening You know, obviously myself, people saw me and wanted to talk to me about it on the grounds, understandable, but also in the locker rooms and in both tours. And Mary, I think you alluded, again, in the Behind the Racket podcast, which probably required pre-listening for this as many times as you mentioned it, uh, you know, knowing you guys know about it, Noah Rubin, about what the conversations were like in the men's side and saying that the women, but a big conversation for the women at the U.S. Open. And we've seen this start to come out more... In the last few weeks uh, from the men too, you know, Milos Ronic did an interview during the US Open before the semifinal um, with Rolling Stone. Because after he made some sort of subtweet of ESPN coverage of it during the thing. It was like an eye roll emoji. It was very vague, but it happened during some sort of Puff piece. And people picked up on it and he did a statement. Our interview with uh, ESPN criticizing ATP for lack of action. And then this in, this moment that happened in the team world huddle at Labor Cup where... Zverev gave, I honestly think, some pretty pretty low-grade trash talk. It's not that big a deal, saying, you know, sort of taunting team world after losing a doubles point, saying, oh, that's the last point you're going to win. And the and then uh, they were sort of collectively bashing him, and then sort of saying, oh, you know, F this guy, basically. And Riley Opelka, sort of to add his credibility, or his what he thought about Zverev, said, well, yeah, he also said he's innocent. And they all sort of smiled and guffawed at that. And it was just sort of, it was a revealing moment of, you know, sort of hot mic moment of just what they think about the situation. And that is consistent with what I've heard from other players, you know, uh, who I've talked to on background off record about that. So Mare, I'm just curious. Yeah. What you sort of think is the player, the interpretation of this case and observe from what you can gather on either tour. And then also like how much that matters for this, the story. Cause he's not say, in those moments, he's not getting support vocally from other players. And he has gotten several now sort of comments that are, Saying the ATP is failing here, or that we don't believe this guy, essentially, is the tone.
2: Yeah, I um again, uh, from the active players in the locker rooms to the former players in the booths, this is, they act like this isn't something either they feel comfortable talking about or they don't know enough about, or they know. That.
0: And they're not getting asked about it either. And they're not getting the asked bar, about it. Yeah, exactly.
2: No. Um, it's, uh, hmm. I don't know. I just wish there'd be a little more bravery all around, a little bit more. Uh, Come on, you know. Uh, just be um, there. There should be some. I'm just so tired of this story. How, how's it? It's been going on for what eleven months now, Ben. Eleven mm-hmm. months, and only now yeah. has the ATP even even mentioned yeah. this guy's we name. We didn't get
0: into that side of this or in the story in the lead That That's one of the things we should talk about. Like, what the hell took them so long? why why was there no reason why was there no urgency after the first i, I think honestly Regardless
2: I, and in large measure because of you ben i think the atp got shamed into into having some kind of uh making some kind of a move otherwise i think they would have they would have kept it they would have kept it the same way that's my sense of it yeah but again th- then you hear about all the legal complications and you know, they uh, they work independently of uh, the tour, like all that all that bologna and cheese that you hear over and over again. This is very complicated. <laughs> there are many, you know, it's very hard to, well, I want you to look into it anyway, just for the hell of it, you know?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you have a player who someone has reported them being violent. Mm-hmm. Like I would think their coworkers would be interested in whether or not that is true. Just, you know, not that, you know, domestic abusers, Often only harm like very specific people in their lives. So it's not to say that that would in any way bleed out into like actual work environment. But at the same time, it makes sense (laughs) that if you're around someone all the time, that you would be interested in this behavior and finding out more about it. And I just interviewed this woman named Dr. Lee Goodmark who. Does uh, domestic violence work at the University of Maryland, and she's been doing it for decades. And we were talking about the MBA, but one of her huge points that I'll carry with me in talking about domestic violence in particular is that your community can really set the mm-hmm. values and the expectations in ways that are incredibly important and in are in mitigating this. Right. Yep. So if the people around you who you respect and care about and work with are saying Vocally, that this is not okay, that we are not okay with this behavior, that's the kind of stuff that will actually slowly move needles, right? Um, Obviously, just straight up punishment hasn't worked really ever. (laughs) Like the rates of domestic violence in all kinds of places are not going down, even within lots of interventions. Then, most of the time, the thing that works the best is if the community sort of rallies around saying, this is not okay, and we're not okay with this. And you know, I just, I think it would be good to hear more from the tennis community. Maybe they don't even have to say Zvera's name. Like, you know, just saying like, I'm not cool with this. I'm, this makes me sad to hear. Like, I don't, I don't condone that, whatever the language would be. I just, that is something that she just went, you know, she really just went over and over again with me about like, how these communities, like your immediate community, can really have an impact on. That's why the
2: WNBA here. is my favorite league. But Ben, uh, talk about Andy Murray uh, more than yeah. once has stepped up in those ways that jessica's talking about.
0: Yeah, Andy is in sort of a awkward position where I think he was he was I think in a question he got asked about it again in San Diego last week, where by Bill simons who long openings to his questions anyone's ever heard of bill simon's question and referring to him as being the conscience of the tour and andy's kind of the only person who's gotten asked about this and he's gotten asked like three or four or five times at this point he's tired of domestic violence he's tired of being the guy also yeah, exactly he also it's not fair to him to have him be the only person tasked with being, again, the conscience of the sport. It tells you that the sport is, I don't know, people think it's morally bankrupt elsewhere or what Mm -hmm. that means exactly if he's the conscience of the sport. But he has been someone obviously consistently more vocal and progressive on basic issues. Like, yes, women are capable of being coaches of, of men. Yes, you know, women can be paid equally. Yes, whatever else the other issues may be. Um, and it's, it's an interesting, but for the tour too, because it's kind of, I think there's a, a vacuum of leadership in the, on the player side in some levels for this. Uh, Djokovic is around, uh, but, or uh, playing less and less though in the last year, playing a smaller schedule, but Federer and Nadal have not been around very much. And they're the sort of veterans. And if you look at the top 10 seeds in Indian Wells this week, the oldest one of them on the men's side is Medvedev, who's 25. You know, mm-hmm. so the sort of the generation of who would normally be the sort of leaders or the the sport, maybe actually you could put like Ronich in there, who did speak out about this. He's sort of in that realm of players who are established and older and can feel comfortable uh, speaking out about their stepping forward on this kind of thing. You know, maybe those guys just aren't there, and, and they don't feel that sort of that's that sort of uh, yeah responsibility or or onus to to do something to make it a. The, the tour a better, safer place. And we can add also in terms of, if not mention this, but there's also two other cases of domestic violence involving ATP players. Uh, but, and the three cases are very different. So it's not really worth comparing them too much. Basically, Nicholas Baselchevili was arrested and in, in is in trial proceedings for a domestic violence case in his native Georgia. And then a Brazilian player, Tiago Sebalt-Field, uh, was accused by his ex-girlfriend as being, I think she's in the process of suing him in some sort of civil case and possibly criminal investigation there as well in brazil um so those are cases where the previous atp policy of let's wait and see if the police do anything might actually you know work if if those are cases those also didn't happen at at tournaments you know and that's the other thing about it being atp's responsibility and i phrased that in the second story you know in their rule book the tournament site extends to the official hotel and these are accusations of things that happened at official tournament hotels in 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 hmm. geneva and in shanghai and one of the people i spoke to the <laughs> second story was originally much longer and jessica was quoted in it another, another person who was in the longer draft was dana Moskowitz, who's also done a lot of work on this uh sort of thing uh for defector and deadspin before that and she was saying you know if you're the atp wouldn't you just be kind of curious to know what happened in your hotel rooms at your tournaments like wouldn't you just want to know for your own organizational you know this is something that happened in your in your auspices in 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 your in your turf and and just wouldn't you want to resolve that rather than leaving that as an unsolved mystery on any level
1: before we leave the murray thing i do just want to say that like bless him because he's shown that like you can do this like he's modeling the very behavior we're asking for and showing that it is possible to mm-hmm. do it so the idea that like you can do it too yeah. <laughs> like he's showing that that saying one thing here and there, like, and, he did, and
0: again and again with murray i don't think he even said anything that like He didn't really put himself out that much. He basically said, like, ATP's not doing well. He didn't say, like, I don't know, Zverev should be suspended forever or anything, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of render a verdict or any sort of, you know, even more severe, you know, stance. And I also know lots of players I talk to have stronger opinions than that. And I don't know how much it's just they wouldn't say him on record or they never got asked Mm -hmm. or or what, but... It's fascinating
1: that the media feels more comfortable talking than to Murray or uh, questioning him about it because he's talked about it, but also I wonder if that comes back to, like, the cowardly, like, they feel like they won't have to deal. T-
0: tennis media is also Who in a tough knows? place during the what, pandemic. Like, it's, it's People are not having the access yeah. they used to have to players. You know, they can't right. mix and with I them just, the way they used to. It, it's a tough time to do on-site reporting in tennis, for sure.
1: It, but also, like, part of me wonders if we were really asking all these players the kind of stuff we might yeah. hear could be hard to marshal within an interview, right? And, like, that takes its own kind of skill. If you're going to start questioning players about this and you don't have a good understanding of all of this complicated stuff it would be it i mean we might get some really concerning answers but yeah you're right we also don't know what people actually yeah. know that's true
0: uh thank you very much both for being here uh it's sort of an all over the place wide-ranging dis- discussion of a like you a messy topic and a complicated topic but one that's definitely important uh, for the sport going forward and i guess yeah that's i guess last sort of thought question for each of you uh I'll start with you mary like where do you think this goes from here you know, it's been so long and now there's some potential resolution to point to, at least in the opening investigation. Where do you think it goes from here and where do you hope it goes? goes from I hope here? it goes
2: far. I hope it goes deep. You know, I hope this isn't just another we're going to get another pretty toothless ATP announcement month from now that says, OK, we are still looking into it or whatever it is. that. I mean, I really hope that there's some there's some real digging real investigations i i personally would would hope that olga speaks her truth you know if she doesn't i respect that as well i can understand this is nothing she she never i can't imagine she ever wanted it to go this long uh, no. with so little resolution so i just hope the atp really pulls up there these are not cranky pants these are big boy pants
0: mm. big
2: boy investigative pants i hope that's what they do
0: and Jessica, what, what do you sort of hope comes next in this in this story?
1: Well, certainly, whatever the investigation finds, I hope that there's a lot of transparency around it, especially who did it and how they did it. I think that's really important, no matter what they find and for us to understand as the viewing public, like how they got to whatever answer they're going to get to here, especially because your reporting exists, right? And so like we already have sort of a baseline around this story. And I do think the... You know, policies are policies and people get around them all the time and whatever, but like you need better ones. Yeah. <laughs> like that is definitely true, especially as you just talked about, like that these happen in the hotels and like Diana saying, don't you want to know like <laughs> what the hell's going on there? Like they need to be, they need to have a much clearer policy and a process laid out so that this will happen again. This will happen again and they will have to figure out how to deal with it again. And they have not handled this well. And that's clear. And so I think having a policy that is clear on process and, you know, these are tricky things, but they owe it to the players themselves as much as anyone else to to make this a a better process um, when this does happen. I don't know. I'm so cynical. I'm like, will any of that happen? Maybe we'll be in the same place. Maybe I'll be back here in a year (laughs) and we'll be doing this again.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So we'll see. I mean, I will say the fact that Zvera feels very comfortable saying that he's okay with them looking into, like, that makes me pause about, like, whatever he thinks is about to happen here. Um, Because what we do know, you know, I can't imagine he would really want someone digging into that based on what we do know at this point. Uh, So the fact, maybe he's just saying what he thinks people want to hear. And I, I do kind of think you were talking earlier about why did it take this long? And I'm with Mary. I think after the first piece came out, they were probably all like crossing their fingers. Like maybe this will just go away. Like if we just wait long enough, it will die down. And the second piece, especially with the kind of photographic evidence that is in there, makes that all so much harder. And, you know, just the shifting landscape in general around these issues. The fact that lots of people at this point are having to deal with them when they don't want to Um, more and more as we go along. I think all of that combined. So anyway, I don't that's what I hope. But I don't know what will actually happen. I don't know how much faith I have in the next step. And what do you think?
2: Where Where do we go from here?
0: Well, I'm first of all just honestly relieved that there's been any public acknowledgement of the ATP. I mean it's 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 existing sort of an alternate universe where they did not acknowledge this for eleven months is is and I was I mentioned this before, but seeing how many more outlets were covering it once there was a, you know, publication of the of the statement from them that they were doing anything. All the German outlets, which had pretty long stories, clearly kind of already pre written that would have been sort of held back and some I know were working out during the US open and never got the green lights from their their newspapers various legal departments and things like that to write about this issue because press law in germany is is different on lots of fronts yeah so that that's already a bit heartening it's already better than nothing um regardless of how hollow or whatever it may or may not turn out to be Uh, i do think it's already something in positive development this week and and yeah I, i i just don't know i we don't know it's it's impossible to know what to think about the faith in the process without uh, like we sort like we talked about earlier about, you know, what knowing who's involved, what their experience is, what they're sort of looking for. Does the ATB have a desired outcome for this? Do they want to actually do a good job of this, or do they want to figure out a way to make this go away? You know, like there's probably there very well may be some thinking about that, about what they're sort of hoping.
1: Is there happens. Ben, do you know like in the policy, if they find that he harm someone in a hotel associated with the like what is it already laid out like how they could possibly discipline him is
0: that you know i don't know i think things can be different sorts of offenses in tennis there's a lot of leeway and major offenses in tennis i mean like naomi osaka the french open got a a major offense for skipping a press conference it was like aggravated first degree press conference skipping essentially you know which is normally it's very minor offense that they sort of blew up into this big thing and i think you can Mm -hmm. similarly scale Whatever the various other infractions are to fit. But your, are we talking about
1: like financial fines? Like, is do we have any idea?
0: I have no idea. For all I know, he, he could get hmm. fined twenty dollars. You know, if if they yeah. find something, or it could be nothing, or it could be a. A four-week suspension that happened in the off-season. So you know, they could like say could like be, you're
1: suspended, you can't participate in tournaments for X amount of time. Like is uh, that,
0: that they could, they a have happened. Yeah, that's happened. Serena had got yeah, suspended. Curious, yeah.
2: but that was off-season for him. That that meant nothing. That was a total wrist slap. Yeah, I mean, okay. curious. I think they missed okay. like one at
0: Masters event when he got yeah. his suspension. But like, but okay. yeah, but we, you just don't know. But also, like Sam Querrey was the last sort of investigation that I'm aware of on the ATP that they at least you made know the Sam
2: Querrey one, right, Jessica?
0: Yeah, where he the
1: COVID, the COVID. Yeah, airplane where, he, where he got
0: he booked the airplane to escaping flee
1: across the out of lines. Russia, yeah,
0: after after testing positive I've, in St. Petersburg. You, but he I feel like he, Ben
1: had a really good Twitter thread that I was like yeah. trying to get through on that one. Yeah, but he it was uh, riveting.
0: But he <laughs> but he didn't get any he got basically a twenty five I want to say a twenty five somewhere in the range of twenty five thousand dollar suspended fine. Basically like Can I ask So another? long as you don't flee anymore. Right, make sure again, Jessica. Ask your question. So fine. Yeah
1: like no i'm just who is deciding that at the atp
0: yeah i think it's, is there a person i think it, i should know this better but i think it's sort of the be tom barnes or some other sort of rules official mary maybe you would know this sort of who that who it is the sort of so you're just
1: so that goes back to like the question of i'm like, guessing yeah, i'm would, guessing would, something would,
0: on the level of this very because of the because of the notoriety of this case at this point i'm guessing that would go to the top of atp i'm guessing this is something that the executives would wait but
1: i'm just on. wondering if the person at the top of the atp yeah it just goes just back to like these questions of like do they even understand this the nuances of this kind of thing so even once they have all the information in front of them I would how have, are they deciding how to respond to it what an actual discipline looks like yeah. what what measures up like i don't eh, No, yeah, I mean, as, i'm not sure as i
0: said before about not you know not feeling like i got as much as, as full of stories i would have ideally liked by not talking to Zverev about it or not having him answer questions yeah. about it I also never heard from the ATP. The ATP also never sat down for interviews right. on this story either. And I would have lots of conversations and still would have lots of conversations. So standing invitation to Massimo Calvelli or whoever else from the ATP may want to to chat about this. Cause definitely there's a lot more questions about the specifics about this and also the abstracts about this, about that. I think ATP still needs to answer. So like you said, a lot more questions and answers in a lot of ways on this episode from, from Mary and from everybody. Uh, but thank you both for, for being on here. And hopefully we'll find some more fun topic uh, next time. (laughs) Jessica, (laughs) if nothing else. Because you do like tennis beyond this beyond all this stuff. But you know. I
1: feel like most interviews I do at the end they're like, hopefully next time it'll be a fun
0: topic. (laughs) Like
1: that's a really normal Yeah. Sort of cliche Jessica
0: Luther (laughs) sign off. But thank you guys very much uh, for being on here. Really appreciate Mm
1: it. Yeah. Thanks for having me and thanks for your reporting, Ben. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So thank you to Mary and Jessica for being on the show once more for each of them talk about this topic thank you all for particularly the patreon backers who keep the show going at patreon.com slash no challenges remaining one new one to thank since the last episode or actually maybe before the last one who i missed in the last episode ria from canada so thank you to ria and thank you to our slam champ backers we thank every episode who include Mary Carrillo, Susanna W., Sean Mulroy, Leah Williams, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Jean Simeon, James Hindle, Antonio Maycumber, Anna Valinder, Timothy Liu, and Ashley Keel, and our goat backers, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. Until next time. Bye, guys.